Well, before we get started, since you've read David, I'm see everybody has read about David at some time. Okay. What are your impressions of David? And did you learn anything new this week? I mean, he, he should be a very familiar character. Everybody knows about David and Goliath, obviously. Okay, but as you went through this this week, I'm sure you saw a lot of things, maybe some things you didn't like about David. But was, what, was, what surprised you? Well, yeah. one of the things that always impressed me about David is how he uh, inquired of the Lord before he did almost everything. <coughs> There's a couple of glaring examples where he didn't. But other than that, he always, I mean, things that I would never think, oh, well, let's check first before we go. Yeah. And he's, but he did. He was a fast learner, too, at times. At times. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he, was, he did some very stupid things, like most of, well, all of us do, but, but those times, like when he was in Ziklag, and mm -hmm. his family had been taken off, and all of this stuff, and he said, should we go chase after him? I personally wouldn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> you just go do it, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, David always amazed me. Oh, go ahead, Wayne. You... He had a lot of pride. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you see that uh, when, you know, the, the Lord says, look, you, you messed up mm -hmm. uh, through, through Gad, you, you can choose one of these outcomes. Here are three things, right? He, he basically said, look, do, do whatever you want. Just don't embarrass me in front of the guys, you know? And now, obviously, there's more to it, but it, it really was about, hey, don't, don't have me submit to another man. Yeah, well, well, I think that's good. Actually, I think that was positive, though, because he, he had a relation to the other it, man versus God, and he says, hey, I'll take God anytime. Yeah. I'd rather be in God's court because of his mercy. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I really liked about David is his, his attitude with God. And, and God said he was a man after his own heart, and that's a big deal, okay? He was far from perfect. And if dads don't don't look to David to be a good dad, okay? That's that's not the place you want to be. Uh, but but and I, that's what I like about the scripture. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Josh. It's very honest and upfront. It's it shows everything, you know, the good and the bad. Some all of a sudden you're on a mountain type with David, and the next chapter you go, oh my, you know, and he did that, and it's recorded in scripture from now on. Can you imagine that? If we put all your faults up there. Hey, Gary Brotherton did this today. Oh, wow, look at that. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Yeah, for all eternity. For all eternity. You go, wow. So, okay, well, let's, let's jump right in. Like I said, the, the basics are the same. It's the same books. It's, it was originally one book, First and Second Samuel, or as Mike likes to call it, First and Second David. And as you saw last week, we went through uh, Samuel and then Saul, and then Saul was basically the people's choice. He was a bad king. And now we're going to see God's choice. So I believe God had David in mind all along, but the people wouldn't wait. Does that sound like anybody like? Okay. <laughs> you ever get impatient? And you, you want a good thing. You know, you want a good thing. In fact, God even said in his word that they were going to get a king eventually. So you think, well, what's such a bad thing? It's all about timing, isn't it? And God's timing is perfect. So uh, this, this part of the book is only about 40 years. I was really shocked. I knew this, but I, I guess it just hit me, is David was about 30 when he became king. That's not so amazing. But he, only, he reigned 40 years, which is amazing. That's a long time. Saul reigned about the same amount of time. He, his record wasn't good at all. In fact, there's a big contrast between the two. But David died at 70 years old. 
I'm 69. That really hit me. You know, it's like he, he was considered to me not old. And just think of that. I mean, wow. And then you, we've been going through Genesis. You've got the 100 and plus year old people. And you think, well, that's not in our time. But David, 70, that's, that's not too old. But he had, had quite a life. Um, that as far as the time, we're still the time of war. Well, this is a little different. The timing I put uh, is the time of war between the house of David and the house of Saul. And you go, wait a minute, Saul's dead, right? Well, not quite. You got Abner came along. Abner was the commander of the army, and Ishbosheth was the son of, of Saul, and he survived. But basically, Abner was the one that was in charge. He wanted to take over things. He he was the one that wanted to be in power, and so he got Ishbosheth to go along. And if you remember that one little section where Ishbosheth said, "Hey, you you slept with the concubine," and he got all upset with that. Well, that's what they did. There was, if I was a king and I conquered Gary's kingdom, I would, first of all, probably slay Gary, and then I'd sleep with his concubines, and that's like, okay, that's it, it's official, Gary's kingdom is gone, Mike's in charge. And so it wasn't an innocent thing where, well, he just thought she was cute and the king didn't really mess with the concubine. No, it was a matter of, I'm taking charge. It was a political decision. It was a political, well, it's political, and it's a sign right. to the people. And I think you saw later on where, Absalom actually did the same thing. So you see how things repeat over and over again. Uh, unfortunately, human nature is, is a lot the same. But we, we started out, we went from, uh, David went from a shepherd to a servant to an exile to king. And that was in 1 Samuel. And now uh, Saul's dead. Abner's ruling, Abner is ruling the north for Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. And then Joab is the other commander. He's on the on David's side. And he's kind of a good guy, but we see later on as, as you go on, he's got some faults too. Kind of a harsh guy, but if I wanted a guy in commander of my commander of the army, I'd probably want Joab. He's very effective. Uh, you, you, there's, like I said, these are real people. They are, none of them are perfect. So in Ishbosheth, uh, Saul's son only royal uh, two years. And then uh, he got mad because of the, the concubine thing. And then Abder went over to, uh, uh, to David's side. And did you see the thing with Abner and Aziel and that whole thing running up? They made some really dumb decisions, didn't they? It's always easy to see mistakes in other people. And we shouldn't just slough over that. You go, some of these people just didn't listen. It's like, why are you running? Why are you doing this? Why are you chasing somebody that... That's, you may be fast, but he's a warrior. And it's like, you're crazy. And poor Aziel paid for it. And then Job, he gets upset, and he stays that way. He just be quiet for a while, but he gets even eventually. And you see there's this betrayal, and there's and this get even, and this back and forth. I mean, it was, it was like you're writing a novel or something that was uh, almost to the point where at least X-rated, maybe not R-rated, but or is it the other way around? Whatever. Whatever is, you, know, you understand. So, let's see. And then, uh, finally, Ispiseth is murdered. He's murdered by two of his guys in his own bed. I mean, it shows you what the times were. Remember, we came out of Judges. It isn't still much better. Uh, the people really needed a David. And that's because of his heart and his heart for God. Saul was okay. He was the look ruler. He was the guy that was tall, handsome, good-looking. 
and it started out good and just didn't finish. And here we got David, the little red-headed, short, little small kid out with the sheep, and he's the one that's going to be king. He's the one that God wants. Um, and then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David. People didn't understand David, did they? Especially his, his enemies or outsiders. They just didn't have a, an idea of what David was like. Like I said, oh, he reigned 40 years. Get some of the facts out. He reigned seven and a half in Judah. Judah, because it was his own uh, tribe, he started there and he reigned seven and a half years. And then eventually he became ruler of, of both uh, tri of all the tribes, I should say. So Judah was in the south, and the rest of the other ten tribes were in the north. And that, they, that got in eventually, we're going to see later on, I forget who does that later, we'll see the Civil War happen, and it breaks up. Very similar to our history, which is unfortunate. One of the key things about this, about David, is that what was the name that Jesus was called? He was called son of? David. David, Okay. And we're going to get into that. That's the, it gets in the Davidic confident. But I, I found, if you want to turn with me to Acts 13, and I want to read this because I love these, these commentaries. I love the commentary of the New Testament versus the Old Testament. It commentates on that. And we're going to see this. This is uh, Paul talking in Antioch. And it, go to um, Acts 13, 16. So Paul is... is is talking there, and uh, I'll give you a second to turn there. And this basically gives us the history of Israel. And it's really neat to see from Paul's perspective, and he's got a little different perspective. We're still back with David, but I think it really helps to get your, your arms around it. He says, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the peace people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of the country. He endured their conduct. Now get a load of that for 40 years. So God endured their conduct. Does that sound, if you endured, well, I endured my uncle. He came over. And what does that tell you about my uncle? Not too good, is it? But this is what God has saved through Paul, through Paul, for about 40 years in the desert. That's why they call it the desert. Uh, he overthrew seven nations, this is God, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. It's interesting that the actual, the kingdoms last, the, once David starts, last about 450 years too. I don't know why the cemetery there, but I think it's just interesting. Going on a little further, it says, after this, God gave some of them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. This is the part I really want you to see. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. This is the key thing. If you get nothing else out of this section of 2 Samuel, that's it. That's David's purpose. That's what he was there for. And yeah, like I said before, uh, the, the themes are basically the same. You have the basic structure. You've got purpose of prayer. You've got the sovereignty of God. 
the work of the Holy Spirit is really limited here in as far as the actual text. There's just one quote, I'll look at that. And unfortunately, the biggest section is personal and national effects of sin. That's, that's kind of sad, but there was a lot going on because of what was going on. And uh, I'll let you uh, make your own conclusions on some of that. It's pretty obvious, but I think, and I find that that's what's really nice about the Old Testament. You've got real people with real lives that you can actually relate to. You know, if David was perfect and did everything just the way he's supposed to, you go, wow, I could never do that. But when you see he messed up, and then he did that well, and then he asked for repentance, and you go, well, you can learn from that. So, um, let's see. Uh, if you want, I can read the, uh, well, the literary structure. This is a biography of David. He's, oh, I mentioned that. They started at 30 years old, lived to be 70. Uh, the purpose is exactly the same, and I'll read it only once because you had that from last week, but just so you have it in your mind. This is, this is the long ones, remember? Yahweh, Yahweh granted the sinful request of Israel and established a human monarchy over his theocratic nation Israel and guaranteed its future in his covenant with David. So this week we're going to deal with his covenant with David. That's what we're getting into the part. Second Samuel is the history of the theocratic monarchy. monarchy. Well, I don't know why I have trouble with that word. Where the king represents God's rule over God's people. David was the chosen one. The house of David through which the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would later come. So that's the key thing. And it's still the same overall theme, transitioning from judges to kings, theocracy to monarchy. And it's basically Israel becoming a nation. Remember there were all these 12 tribes and they couldn't even get along and that. You had Judah against some of the other ones. Now it's going to be one nation under one king and under one God, literally. I wonder where that came from. I've heard that before. Huh? Um, you can see some of our history where, where it did come from. If you look at the outline, I, I outlined it basically, it's very simple. Um, first chap, 10 chapters, triumphs of David. That's neat. Transgressions of David's 11 and 12, and you know that, that's Bathsheba, and then chapter 12 is basically Nathan calling uh, David unto count. And then the troubling part is troubles of David is 13 through 24. And there's a lot of stuff. There's Amnon and Tamar and Absalom's rebellion and there's, uh, what was it, Sheba. And there's just all sorts of stuff, Shimei. And, and I'm not going to go into that kind of detail. I don't think, I mean, you can read that on your own and it, it's kind of sad. Um, but I really want to focus more on David, what David did, both good, and what David did bad. So uh, let's look at the first theme, the power and purpose of prayer. Uh, Let's start with 2 Samuel and look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. We'll start with. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He asked. And the Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go? And he says to Hebron. I think Wayne mentioned that. The first thing David does is, Well, I'm king, at least I'm king of Judah. Saul's dead. I should take over, right? No, he asked God where he should go. This is a big deal. Now, he, he went to Hebron, and he, he was there seven and a half years. So, um, and they made him king right away. So that, that was good. This is all the good stuff. Um, let's go on to chapter, let's jump ahead to chapter five. I'll get you running hard here. 
see, we'll go through some of these quickly. And what I want to do is save some time at the end for the Davidic covenant, because that's really the key. But I think I want to walk through this other stuff, too. Uh, here again in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 19. And this is when David's going to battle the Philistines. He, and the, he eventually conquered the Philistines, but they had a tough time doing it. Verse 19, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord answered him and says, go, I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? <laughs> Say, Tyler, what text him up? says, God, should I do this? Should I teach this class? Or should I just go on my boat? Well, it's too cold for the boat. Okay. And God tells you, I've got a vision. You know, we don't do that. But David did. He inquired all the time. And he, even to the point, well, we'll get a little further here. Let's try another one. Let's go to 523. And that's in the same chapter. We're just jumping down a little further. Once more, the Philistines came up, spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, do not go straight up. Ooh, wait a minute. Okay, first of all, I can't explain to you how God was speaking to him. Okay, I'm surprised nobody asked. But it doesn't say, and most of the commentators, I get a kick out of, they said they don't know either. So they, God, it says God was speaking to him. So he understood that. But anyway, God says, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. And so David did it, and uh, uh, because of that, that will mean that the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine. And so he wins. He wins that battle. What does that tell you? Should you go up straight up to approach a problem, or should you ambush it? Or what do you do? How do you understand that? Don't those, aren't those two different ways? Is that okay? Yeah. Well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. So that, that's essentially what he's saying, do I do you know, lunch for it or do I go around? He says, just go around this time. But have we ever done that where you say, well, it worked the first time. Maybe I should do it that way. And God said, you know, it worked out all right. Hmm, what's there a principle here? Ask God, how many times? Every time. Every, ooh, right, every time. How about just most of the time? Every time, right. Okay, good, we got it. You got the point. Uh, let's see. Let's look at, uh, let's jump way ahead to chapter 21. I love to hear Bibles turning pages. I know, I know, I use my phone in church. Yeah. But it's nice to have the real stuff. Um, this, this is sad. Let's see, this is, uh, let me go, this is where the Gibeonites were avenged. Uh, this is kind of sad, but let's, let's read it and see what's going on here. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years, so David sought the face of the Lord. Now, what's wrong with that? Mike being critical here? You see anything wrong with that? He sought the Lord. After three years. Yeah. I mean, if, now, now if it was a famine for a week, you go, oh, that's nothing, right? But at three years, anyway. The Lord said, it is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the, the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. You notice how David approaches the problem, finds out what it is, goes right at it. He doesn't hem-haw around it. Now, the Gibeonites were not a part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. 
David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. They say this. Let's go on. What do you want me to do for you then? David asked. They answered the king, as for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan. Remember, that was David's big friend is Jonathan and his son. He spared him. We're going to see that a little later on. Uh, because of the oath he, before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But he took the king, uh, but the king took, and I won't go through all the names. Notice one of them is another Mephibosheth. Can you imagine naming your kids? I don't know. Okay. There used to be a thing on TV about that. So um, we'll go on. Let's see. Let's see. I think that's far enough. But the, the idea is that um, David was, was doing what God wanted. And he said, okay, he'd do this. But he'd spared uh, Mephibosheth, which is he was keeping a promise he made to, to Jonathan. Uh, and he sought the Lord there. Let's look at one more. Well, actually, we won't look at that one. Uh, back in chapter 7, it deals with the Davidic covenant. And I want to I save that for last. So it's there in your notes in case you ever refer back to it. You'll know, okay, that's another thing. You'll see that a little later on. it make more sense. Let's skip to the next theme, and that's the sovereignty of God. There are so many examples of that in this book. And you really probably don't need me to point them out. But let me just do a couple of them. Let's look at uh, 2 Samuel 8, chapter 6. I mean, chapter 8, verse 6. Unless your Bible is different than mine. Okay. And this has to do with, uh, well, just, um, let's see, this was, well, just talking about David's victories. He put garrisons in the Aramean kingdom of Damascus, and the Arameans became subject to him and brought tribute. tribute. The Lord gave David victory whenever he, wherever he went. So it's the Lord doing it, and he, he gets acknowledgement for that. Then in 22, uh, well, that's, that's kind of your, remember last week, did anybody read those, those two? I, read I said what? homework reading last week. Not the books, but just the two items. It was chapter, now I've got to look at my notes. Nobody read it? No. I had the homework? Nobody? Nobody? Nobody did? Okay. It wasn't the homework you just said. It Suggested reading. It was fun reading. Okay, never mind. All right, so. <laughs> well, turn, turn there, because I want you at least to look at it. Second Samuel 22. And I want you to know where it is. And we're not going to go over this tonight, because I'll, I'll explain why. It's chapter 22 is 1 through 51, okay? But I want you to look at it. it. What it is, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, both his enemies. This is a great, if you're in the morning, you're feeling down and you feel like you just had a rough life 
and think everything's going against you, you know, whatever the dog did this and the cat did that and your kids or whatever. Read through this. It's 51 chapters and it is really neat. It's David praising God and, and when, you, when you know what David's life is like and you look at this, you go, wow, 51 verses this. It'll really, but we're not going to do it now. So I'm teasing you and I want to tease you. Okay. So hopefully you'll read that one because that, that one is good. But let me quote one part of that. Uh, go to the, towards the end, 30, well, not all the way to the end. Let's see, 31, verse 31 and 32. And uh, this was David's view of who God is. And, and like I said, he's, all through this is praise. But he says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? That's David's view of God. We're going to get into another one that says more about God. But um, So that's just a little tease for on chapter 22. So it's toward the end. So if you're going through your next thing in Kings, you might look back. What was it Mike said? Chapter 22. So think of that. I really would like you to read that. And since we're at 22, go over to 23. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's only one little quote. Chapter 23, these are the last words of David. That's what it says in my Bible, and it's, I don't know what it says in your Bible. It might say something similar to that. Uh, it says in chapter 22, 23, excuse me, 23, 2, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. So in other words, that's the Holy Spirit work in here. That's where it actually says that. That's why I was like, obviously the Holy Spirit's working through the whole book. You can find many times where David gets in a bind and God gets him out of that. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it the sovereignty of God? I'll let you work that out. Uh, let's get into the bad stuff, I guess. Let's go back to this personal and national effects of sin. And there's just way too many examples of that here. But uh, this might relate more to us than we, than we realize. Actually, Pastor helped me on this one. Uh, chapter 6 verse 3 through 11, so maybe we won't really go through that. Uh, that's where the Ark of God, the new cart, remember Uzzah reached out and tried to get it. So I think Travis did probably a much better job than I could do on that. So, But that was well, one example of where Uzzah thought that he was better off steadying the Ark when David should have known better. It was in, is in the Old Testament. They said you ever seen the picture of the Ark of the Covenant? You ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? That is actually a very good representation of the Ark of the Covenant. One of the best I've seen. And I've looked at because I, I like the Old Testament. And uh, on the side of it, they had these rings. And there was poles that would go through there. And so four guys would grab it by the poles and they carried it on their shoulder. That's the way they're supposed to do it. And the Ark would be in between. Not on a cart. So they were doing the right thing the wrong way. Here again, another principle for us. God wants us to do that. And Bryce, how many times does God want us to do it? Every time. Every time. Oh, hey, you're good. I'm not paying him yet, but maybe by the end of the class. Uh, let's see. Let's look at, um, let's look at chapter uh, 12. Because you haven't done that. Is there a question? Second Samuel. Second Samuel. Yeah, everything's in Second Samuel unless... I say so. I'm going to keep you here. There's a couple of times we're going to go outside it, and we'll get to that when we get to the uh, uh, Davidic covenant. So what was I? Chapter 12. 
verse 10. Ten and twelve. Let me see. Well, let me go ahead and read it, and I'll comment. Um, let me see. Do I need to go before? Um, yeah, this is when Nathan is talking to David about his sin with Bathsheba. Let me start at verse seven. You need a little context here. Then Nathan said to David, "You are the man." This is where it came from. You are the man. How about that first time it was said? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. Here again, that's that, that concubine thing. That's, that's typical. That's what happened. We, luckily, we don't do that here. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down a Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you have despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite you will, uh, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own households, I'm going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Remember, Absalom did that. They set up the tent. That was the reason for that. This is a it's kind of a cultural thing, and you know, it's a political thing, actually, but it, it's just sad. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Beca uh, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you shall die. So even though David was forgiven of the sin, there was consequences. And we're, we, we don't have time to go into all of them, but uh, the sword never departed from him. There was incest in his family, fratricide, intrigues, rebellion, Ultimately, it ended up with a civil war. After, I mean, the consequences of sin remain. His first son with Bathsheba died. He also lost his moral authority. He didn't discipline his sons. And this is something for us dads we really should pay attention to. Because if you want to be a David, that's great. But you don't want to be a David the way he was as his father. Amnon, one of his sons, raped David's daughter Tamar. Uh, and... That, that was just sad. And then Absalom, another son, then killed Amnon, getting in revenge to that. Okay, that was actually acceptable in that culture. I'm not saying it's right. It's not what God commanded by any means. But in other words, this is, it shouldn't have happened to begin with, so then it wouldn't have happened after. So one thing leads to another. And if you've ever noticed that in certain families, a trend starts. Once it starts, whether it's a divorce or whatever, it, it just goes on and on. It's really sad. Um, and then Absalom led the rebellion against David, primarily uh, counseled and encouraged by David's trusted counselor, Ahithophel. Uh, did you know who Ahithophel was? He was one of the best counselors. You know who he was related to? He was Bathsheba's grandfather. Does that tell you something? He was getting even with David because of what David did to his granddaughter. Can you imagine your guy? I know I only have one granddaughter. 
And well, I won't go there. <coughs> when I found that out, I go, I understand. It's not good. It's not right, but I'm just saying I understand. Uh, and, it, and it didn't have to be there. I guess that's the saddest thing. Uh, when the council was not heated, Absom did not win. Then, and then Ahithophel, because they didn't listen to his counsel, what did he do? You didn't read it, did he? He went on and committed suicide. This is one of David's best advisors. He actually gave Absalom good advice, but Hushai came in, a friend of David, who stayed behind, and he was kind of a, a double agent. And so he gave him, he actually, it's, it's really funny, the information he gave to Absalom, uh, Ahithophel, these names, don't name your kids after that. <laughs> that. That would be, how do you spell that? You know, Ahithophel, he gave him good information. He should have attacked David at that time. David was weak, and he said, go after him with 12,000 men. He would have conquered him and over with. Hushai says, oh no, don't do that. He said, get your people behind you, go out in a mass, you be the lead. Oh, he was, he was building Absalom up his pride, because that's what Absalom, he was the best looking of all the, the sons, but he wasn't married for some reason. He's more concerned about getting charge of the kingdom or something, but poor Absalom. So anyway, that all turned out badly, and then Ahithophel actually commits suicide, so because he wasn't listened to. And he was a good counselor. He was a good counselor to David. But when David messed around with Bathsheba, and then it, that was his granddaughter, and that changed everything. Really amazing. When the intrigue here is just unbelievable. Uh, let's look at and then 12. Let's see. We're still in 12. Let's go to 8, verse 18. And this, this well, let me, let me see if you get anything out of this. On the seventh day the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. Because he was really, he was down on his, his face, praying to the Lord to, to say, please save this child. For they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. They were really afraid he might kill himself or who knows. No. David did have a temper. Remember when went back last week with uh, um, Abigail? Remember he was going to kill Nabal, wipe him off the face of the earth and all his men? David noticed the servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. He was laying prostrate on the ground. That was how he was praying. And after he had washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Wait a minute. It was David's fault. The child was sick, was judged. But here he turns around and he worships God. Is that like us? No, it's not like us. But I think that's why God... That was absolutely huge of David. Yes. It shows he had a correct understanding. There was nothing he could do after that point. Once the child died, it was over with. So move on, you know. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. Now, that seems cold, but that's, that's what he should have done, and that's what he did do. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? Well, the child was alive. You fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, and you get up and eat? They, they couldn't understand this. David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? 
the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? No. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. That's a neat verse if you know somebody that's lost a child that's really young or even before they were born in that. There was the fact that David says, even though this was an infant, we don't know exactly how old, probably not very old, and he died, but David was going to go to him. So I, I think that's very, very comforting. Uh, let's see. Lost my place. Oh, let me go on a little further. Then David, I forgot something. That David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went into her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. You ever heard that name? Yes. Very important son, right? The Lord loved him, and the Lord loved the son. Just think of that. Even though you think about what was going on, and yet God was merciful. It shows the grace and mercy of God. And because, because the, lo the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Do you know what Jedidiah means? Love to the Lord. That's a neat word. I think there's a, a newscaster, a lady one, that's named Jedidiah. And I, I, when I saw that name, I thought, wow, what a neat name. Love to the Lord. So it just shows the grace of God and the mercy of God, even through all this, because David had the right, right perspective and right attitude in this. Uh, let's go on to, well, let's go, oh, now I'll flip all the way back to, oops, not that far, 24, chapter 24, just a couple of verses, we're at the end there, and this has to, oh, yeah, this has to do with the census. I don't know if that confused you or not. Um, verses 1 through 3. Again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Does that hit you wrong? They took census before, didn't they? Yeah, but they didn't ask God if they... <laughs> right, God told them to take a census. Yeah. Right, and then they did other censuses. Remember when they broke up the land, they had to know how many people, because if Daniel had 42,000 in his group and Chuck only had 30, well, guess what? Daniel gets more land than, than Chuck got. That was, it was a math, math thing. So they even had math back then. Uh, but um, this census-taking thing, actually in... in uh, have the verse. Yeah, in First Chronicles, you don't have to turn there. It's First Chronicles 21.1. It says, Satan incited David to number Israel. But does that bother you? Who's in control here? Well, I think God is telling David to number the, the nation to show him what's there and then remind him who's in control. Well, wait a minute. Look back at the first verse I read. It says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily against David, but against Israel. God's mad at the people. And so he incites David's chronicle. Chronicles is almost like a commentary on some of Samuel and 
kings in that. So if you look at it that way, it kind of helps. Um, it's not just redundant. There, there's other information there. He incited David, or Satan incited David, uh, to do this. And he's, they're going to say, find out, uh, even, well, let's go down verse 3. But Joab, he's his military commander. He, to the, he says to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over. May the eyes of the Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? Even Joab knew this is not the right thing to do. Okay, Joab, the military commander, you think of anybody that would say, hey, yeah, how many guys we got? Well, they had 800,000, one of 300,000. They had a lot of men. But here, it's, it's a matter of David's pride. But even more than that, it goes back to the, the God was mad at the people, and he was going to judge the people. And you go, wow. But wait a minute, what happened in Job? Remember in Job? We've already gone through Job. Remember Satan was going around and how God used Satan? Oh, we haven't done Job. Oh, I've done Oh, I've done Job too many times. Okay. Uh, I thought you we did. Did Travis do Job? It hasn't occurred. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, it has. It's one of the... It's okay. That's why we're out of order. That's, that messed me up. We're not up. going chronologically. We're going book order. We're going to some other... Well, we're going the order of the books as they fall, I think, not chronologically. Yeah. It was, it was, it was an editorial thing. I didn't do it, but anyway, it, that's fine. But it was, does it bother you that God could use Satan? Like that. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I'm, I mean, be honest. But yet, it, that's what it says here. Now, God can use anything. Remember, Samson, what did he use? The jawbone of, yeah. I mean, so, uh, so sometimes you think, well, God used me. <laughs> so? <laughs> He's even used Balaam, you know. I mean, it's like, be careful. Don't, don't let pride get in the way. So, um, okay. Let's, um, let's look at 24. Oh, that's, we're going on in the same chapter. Let's go down to verse 10. And we talked about Elizabeth when we first came in. David was conscious stricken after he counted the fighting men. Even David knew it was wrong. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done very, a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. And the three options are really interesting. It's three years of famine. Three months before fleeing for your enemies or three days of plague. What would you take if you had to do that personally? Not very good choice, is it? Okay, but what was, what was David's, uh, maybe you hadn't read this part, what was David's uh, thought in this? And this is interesting, I think it's, it's good. There's sin, but there's consequences, but there's God. Thank God there's God. So David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. I would say so too if God gave me those options. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. David knew what men were like. How many people betrayed him and he, he couldn't count on them? Or they, there was all this intrigue going on. And he says, no way. Uh, three years of famine, gosh, who knows what would go on there. Three months of, of your enemies, no way three days of the plague, 
and you think, wow, and, and yet 70,000 people died. Uh, but I think it's because, I don't want you to forget, it's not just David, because of the anger of the Lord against Israel for the things they were doing. They weren't being good. Uh, let's see, okay. Um, oh, uh, let's go to 18. And this is, this is all continuing the same story. It says, On that day Gad went up to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and the men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. This is total obeisance, they call it. I mean, I won't do it for you, but... He was, and Aruna was, uh, he was not, he was a Gentile. Yeah, he was a Gentile. Listen, to, uh, he's probably afraid. David comes up with all these guys and, you know, what's going on? I'm a Gentile. He's a Jew. Did I do something wrong? Aruna said, has my lord the king come to, uh, why has my lord the king come to this servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, this guy is pretty smart. He says, let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are the oxen for burnt offerings, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yoke, the thing they were on them, it was all wood. O king, Aruna gives this all to you. Aruna also said to him, may the lord your God accept you. In other words, his offering would be good. So he's saying, take the place, here I've got some ox, and here's the wood. You've got the whole thing, and you can have it for free. And so David says, great, this is a good Jewish thing. You know, it's my heritage. I like something for free. Is that what he said? No. He didn't say that. Okay. Oh, I thought I tricked you there. <laughs> but the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist paying you for it. I will not <laughs> sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Here's again one of those principles here. David, he was king. He could have said, okay, that's good. Or he could have done like some of the other kings that says, hey, guess what, Darby? I want your thing. You know? Yep, yeah, and you're gone. And I just got your, your bag or whatever it is you got there. You know, and, and David said no. He wasn't going to sacrifice. If it wasn't a sacrifice for him, if he didn't cost him something, it wasn't a true sacrifice. And I go, wow, that's something really to think about. But no applications or anything there. We don't want to get too personal here. Um, okay, and that same spot, a little history here, that same spot, Mount Moriah, uh, the same place where Abraham offered Isaac, and later the site of Solomon's temple, and then later on it was Herod's temple. And today you can go up there, and I've actually been there, it's the Dome of the Rock. Moss sits there, although they believe it's, there's, a, there's a big area that's about like this, and the, the Dome of the Rock is here, and it's taken all of it. There's a little thing that's a, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? Shrine. A little, no, not a little shed. It's a, it's a little wishing well shrine. It yeah, it's, it's, well got, it's a, shrine. there's pillars and there's a little porcelain or stone or something. It's a thing here, like we, we call it a, can't think of that term for it. But anyway, that's where they think the temple really was. So that maybe in the future they could have both there, put a wall in between, who knows. 
So that's future. But anyway, that place had a lot of uh, variant. This is what God wanted to do, go up there and buy this thing. And I, I love David's attitude there. He wouldn't sacrifice anything that, uh, unless it cost him something. Uh, okay, let's go to the, um, now we're going to go to the next theme, is the Davidic covenant. And that's really one that I wanted to get to. So hopefully we can have some time here. Now turn to Luke. I, I hope you know where Luke is. <laughs> Should be able to find that. Chapter 1 even. Chapter 1. And let's look at verse uh, 30. Now this is, we're talking in the passage, this is uh, the birth of Jesus foretold. Remember, uh, Gabriel goes to Mary. Uh, let's, well, let's start at 29. I'll give you a second to get there. Luke 1. Luke 1. Luke chapter 1. Probably the worn part, kind of dog-eared in your Bible from being there so long. Anyway, let me read that. So Mary was greatly troubled at his, uh, Gabriel's words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That's what I'm getting. This is called the David, Davidic Covenant. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now this goes on to apply even to the Messiah. This is the whole point of David. Jesus never got to rule on David's throne. So this is future. This is future. Let's, now, since we did the New Testament, let's go to Isaiah and see what he says. Isaiah 9. We're just going to flip a few things, so that's not going to be too bad. Isaiah 9. And let's look at verse 6. In my Bible, it's all marked up. It just, this is, you, you've, if nothing else, you've seen it on your Christmas cards, okay? So now when you look at Christmas cards, you may look at them a little differently. So Isaiah 9, verse 6. And it said, For, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's the key point. Of, his increase, uh, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne, and, it, and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. So this is, here again, is another quote on that. Let's turn to Psalm 89, and then we'll get to, uh, no, we got one more. Once you, you get your exercise to keep you warm here. Psalm 89, oh, I had it there. okay. Psalm 89, verse 29. Psalm 89, verse 29. Well, let me see. Let's see. Back up. If we look at... Um, ver look at verse 20. I'm sorry. Uh, I have found David, my servant. It was my sacred oil I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. No enemy will be subject to... to 
No enemy will subject him to tribute. No wicked man will oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him, and though my name is, is his horn will be exalted, I will set his hand over it, the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the, the rock, my savior. I will appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. This is where it actually refers to his covenant. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. So that's in, in Isaiah. And then while you're still in Isaiah, go on a little further and look at verse 30, 34. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun, and it will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. So this is, this is, uh, this just gives you kind of a, a prelude to how important this is, the idea that the Messiah, basically it's leading to Jesus, the Messiah, and how he's gonna reign on David's throne forever. Okay, now this is future, and it hasn't done yet. Um, remember last week, we, I, I probably won't turn to it right now, but uh, remember in Deuteronomy 17, it talked about kings and the rules of what the kings should do. They're supposed to write out the scripture and they weren't supposed to multiply what? And subtract and add? No, what was it? Multiply what? Forgot already. Do you know how to multiply? Yeah, I wasn't here. Oh, you weren't. Darby's exempt, sorry. <laughs> what was the king not supposed to do? Think of Solomon and go the other direction. What? Horses and wives. Horses and wives. Now, how many of you guys have multiplied horses and wives? Okay. I don't even know if anybody has horses. Okay, you didn't do it. But David, well, I don't know about horses, but David did multiply the wives, and that got him in trouble, didn't it? Anyway, with that in a frame of mind, let's go back to, I'm sorry? Well, Solomon did that even more. He did it to the, on steroids. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't, we won't even go there. That's just, I, I thought he was a wise man. And to have how many wives is like, I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. Whoa. I won't even comment about that. Okay. Uh, let's go to Second Samuel, back to where we were. And this is still about the Davidic covenant. And uh, chapter 7. And let's start at verse 8. Now this is where God is making promises to David. Remember when we were with Abraham, God made promises to Abraham. What kind of a covenant was that? One way. One way, one, exactly. That's what I was looking for. It was a one-sided covenant. Okay, listen to this and see what you think about this covenant, okay? Um, let's see, verse 4. Uh, that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and it goes on. Let's skip down to 8, verse 8. That's when it gets uh, good here. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone. 
I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Remember, I said, once, once we get to the end of, of David's reign, basically he wiped out his enemies. He really did. And that was a time of peace. It was the perfect preparation for Solomon and then building the temple. That was the actual high point of the nation of Israel. Um, and we'll get on, we'll deal with that when we get to the other books. But now I will make your name great, like the, the names of the greatest men of earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home for their own and no longer be disturbed. This is not like today, is it? all. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as the UN, excuse me, as they did at the, at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your, all your enemies. The Lord declared to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest uh, with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son, and when he does wrong, I will punish him, and when the, with the rod of men, with the floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. This is the Davidic covenant. And this is, what does this lead us up to? It leads up to the Messiah. Yes, okay, you got it. So what were the promises in here? What, I just read it, okay. What are the key things that God is promising? First of all, what did David have to do? Well, there is a little caveat in here. If you look down on verse 14, I'll get the negative out of the way. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men. What do you think that means? Well, he said earlier that he will be a man who always has a sword in his hand, and he will fight when he makes mistakes, and people will come against him and mm -hmm. try to take his kingdom. What, what did we just read through? Who, who, who are the enemy? Well, no, not, not just his, his sons and stuff, but I mean, who is David fought the Philistines? Philistines yeah. Mm -hmm. So you see how God, and later on you've got the Babylonian captivity. When they did wrong, they, they violated God's laws, he would punish them with rod of men. In other words, God didn't just bring an angel down and wipe them out. He could have done that. You know, he did that to the Assyrians. But what God did is he used other nations against them. He warned them ahead of time. You know, it's kind of like your, your child. You say, okay, you're good, you get ice cream. You're bad, you go to your room. You know, or you get a whipping or whatever you want to say in there. So God is very upfront of it. But everything else, who's, who's declaring it? Who's saying it? Yeah, God's doing everything. It says, uh, in fact, let me look at that. Hold on, I did a little, uh, Ron Frasco had us, some of the guys will know what I'm talking about. He had our, you know, our, our what do we call it? Diligent our leadership. Diligent Bible. Yeah, diligent. What, what, what did he call the, the, the technique? The diagramming, the block diagram? Block the block diagram, diagram. yeah. That, that, I couldn't figure the, the name of that. And I did that, and it's really interesting, because 
Let me just read you some of the words that really stuck out. And this is just 8 through, through those through 16 or whatever it is. It says, and this is, says, thus says the Lord of hosts. The Lord, Lord of hosts, it's not pieces of bread. Lord of hosts is the, the God, Lord Almighty. The Lord of the armies. The armies of the God. I mean, just think, think of the most powerful God you can think of. So he says, I took. So remember, he took David out of the pastures. I have been with you. I have cut off your enemies. I will make your name great. I will appoint a place for your people. I will plant them. They will dwell in their own place. They will be disturbed no more. You can see this has to be future, right? Israel is not, not disturbed today. The violent men shall afflict them no more. I appointed, and then he goes on, I will give you rest. And then it said, the Lord declares, Yahweh declares to you, and Lord uh, Yahweh will make you a house. Uh, I will raise up your offspring. I will establish your kingdom. I will build a house for my name. Is there anything higher than God's name? No. No. Okay, good. You remember that. I will establish my throne as kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline. Ooh. It's too bad that's in there, isn't it? I should have quit when I was ahead. Does that say anything to us? I read something the other day in, um, I think it's Grace Gems. It talked about how God disciplines us and how, if, if you think of your own kids, if you've had kids, poor is Daniel here? He hasn't had kids yet, so he's a big example. But if you had your own kids, you discipline them. You know, you don't let them just run amok. You, you, you've had enough time, they've spilled it or knocked it over or broke it or whatever, and you have to sit them down and say, don't do those. You know, that's not <laughs> acceptable behavior. Josh, have you ever had that happen? Maybe. No, yeah. yeah, it's okay. Your kids are perfect. You're, you've got the four kids in church that are perfect. Okay, now we know. <laughs> yeah. So, discipline. Um, and I, but I love it. Whenever you see the button of Scripture, verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And I took it from Saul. I put it away. And it just amazes me the thing. So what, let me summarize. So he got rid of his enemies. He gave them a great name. He gave the people a place. He gave them a place to dwell. And he, he's going to give them a place to dwell in safety. He declares all this. And he makes a house for David and his offspring from his own body, he established his kingdom, and he established his throne forever. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Has anybody offered you something like that? No, I didn't think so. Okay. Okay, so that was, that's, that's really kind of one of the, the key passages here. Okay. Uh, let's look at since you're there in seven, and this is David's response after hearing all that. Okay, now you know what the Davidic covenant is. This is David's response, and let me read this. It's 18 through 29. It's a little, well, it's not that long. I hope you don't mind, but I think it's important to see it. And this really shows you the heart of David. And that's, that's where, remember God said David was a man after his own heart. That's the key thing we want to, note with David, and we want to find out, okay, how come 
David does it this way and Mike does it that way. Okay, that means who's got to change? Okay, Mike's got to change, right, okay. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. He didn't kneel. He wasn't prostrate. He sat. What do we do when we sit? If something happens to you and you sit down, what, do, what is it because? Because if you stood up, you'd fall over, right? Well, you're tired. Are you overwhelmed? If somebody gives you bad news, you say, Darby, I got real bad news. You know your car, your truck? Well, it got demolished. You sit down. You tell me to sit down. Yeah. So you had insurance, right? Uh, well, let's see. So he sat before the Lord, and he said, Wayne was saying something earlier. He said, David was prideful. He was. But listen to this. This is, and, and I like the contrast, because Wayne was exactly right. He says, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you should have brought me this far? And if this were not enough, in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You notice he considers himself a servant. This is your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? I don't think so. Uh, what more? It's not usual with anything, with anybody. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There was no God but you. As we have heard with, your own, with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name, your name, will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord God Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it might continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing the house of your servant would be blessed forever. Do you see why he was sitting down? Oh, I just love that. The heart of David. Let's see. Um, And, oh, we already did that. So let me just summarize quickly. Do, are there any questions first? No questions? Wow, you guys are too easy. I have a question. Oh, yeah, Christy. Um, I was just wondering, I was reading um, the um, 2 Samuel 22, the prayer. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a part in there where David talks about his own um, righteousness. Mm -hmm. And I'm just that kind of, I mean, after reading through the whole rest of the book, you're just kind of going, I don't get um, what his understanding of, like, did he have a right understanding that his righteousness was from God? Which, which verse specifically? Oh, I can't remember what verse it was. I it's long. It's reading, long. But, um, let me see. 25. Or 21. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see. The like Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. 21, according... 24. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing I could say, first of all, I'd say I don't know for sure, okay? But I know we're considered righteous too. Not because of anything we've done. So I think, I think because it's in here, it's in scripture, I think that's what he's referring to. That it's no, no, Larry, can you help me? I think, I think personally, what I get from that is that this, the word righteousness here is a standard by which God judges him and blesses him. Not that he was perfect or anything. No, not that he was perfect, but my righteousness, my yeah. intent of heart, my, my faithfulness and obedience to you, Lord. Uh, he's not, I don't think he's really caressing himself. I think he's saying God is righteous in his judgment and he's dealing according to, with me according to my righteousness, according to his standard. Because you look through the rest of it and it's everything. You rescued me, you confronted me, you did it, Lord. You brought me out of, and so since I have righteousness, guess who did it? God did it. So I think that's, the intent. I think he's really humble throughout this whole thing. I don't think it's, it, it hits us a little funny, I agree. But that's why I'm saying it's a neat, it's, it's, it's really a song. I mean, basically it's a song. Well, it parallels so much what you're reading in Isaiah. I was like, oh my gosh, that's, it's really similar to the Isaiah. One book. It's like one book, isn't it? Yeah, there's, there's some really neat stuff in there. And I didn't even touch on a lot of stuff, but. Yeah. Just looking at the section here, it's called David's Prayer of Gratitude. It's a real mm -hmm. model for our prayer oh, yeah. life as well. You know, just substituting, you know, yourself, you know, for, mm -hmm. for the way he says here, you know, because of your promise and uh, because of your heart, you have brought me such a great salvation. You know, just turning this passage into a prayer of gratitude. And, and especially after reading what David went through. Here he was king. He was anointed king. He was... They don't know exactly what, what age. It could have been 12 to 15. And yet, he didn't become king until he was 30. So he, he went through a long period of time like, well, man, I'm supposed to be king, but I'm not. But he went back to the, being a shepherd boy for a while. I mean, then he got into Saul's service and that. So it was, it was one of those things where he, he was promised something. It's kind of like Abraham. He was promised something, but hey, where's my son? You know, it's been years. We're getting old. I'm 90 some years old. You know, it's like, what's going on? But, but it, 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 his later part in his life, it must have been when he wrote this. He really has a lot more perspective there, and yet he wasn't. He was far from perfect. He did a lot of things bad, and and it's in here. It's in black and white, where everybody gets to see it. Can you imagine meeting David in, in heaven? Yeah, I was the one. I did it. Okay, you know. <laughs> But yet, that, I think God put it in here and allowed this to show us that, hey, okay, guess what, Bryce, you're not perfect either. I could ask his wife, and she said, yeah, close, but maybe not perfect. Okay, she's still working on him, so uh, none of us are. But I, th I think it, it's really, it shows the grace and mercy of God. Any other questions?
That was a good question. We might get some follow-up on that, on that righteousness. I'd rather prefer to rely on some other uh, scholars on that. But to me, that's the only thing I was thinking of. It's not probably much different than, than our seems righteousness. seems to be speaking of his general, like the direction that he's, he's heading, not so much like a, like a perfect righteous life. I mean, he had oh, no. to as much in the, in the Psalms. Yeah. The, the direction he's headed is one in 22, 23, for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Well, he has, yeah. but, he's, but he's stayed on the right track. Now, the rules are before me, and it's, uh, from his statutes I did not turn aside. He's, not, I mean, he's learned a lesson. Clearly from earlier, even in this psalm, he's, he's taught that's, that's not true perfectly. Mm -hmm. But it's true about Valerie. It says when it says it dealt with me according to my righteousness, it's like as opposed to dealing with me with my with the, the faults uh, sort of thing. He he dealt he, he dealt with me according to my righteousness instead of dealing with me according to my sin um, sort of things. So I, I think it's it's not supposed to be like the righteousness of Christ the same way we think of it as a perfect absolute righteousness, but general direction of David, the way David's life is heading. More like praising God yeah. and being obedient, and then yeah. he accepted his righteousness by faith. The yeah. faith that he, knew, he had in the Lord because of his yeah. the times when he was... It's, it's his standing before God. It's our standing yeah. before mm -hmm. God. Yeah. Well, he said in, in 26, he says, to the faithful you show yourself faithful. Mm -hmm. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. To the pure you show yourself pure. And it goes on. He, he basically he's saying everything comes from God. You know, you are the lamp. Well, it's just, it's just neat. It's just really neat to, like I said, it's a good meditation. Let me, let me follow up with a couple of things about David. First of all, uh, I, I, I titled it just Lessons from David's Life. And I, I really think this is key because everybody likes reading the Psalms, don't we? Mm -hmm. Especially if you're hurting. Because I find that that's when... Uh, I had to do my dad's funeral, and or the Psalms is just a place to go to. But David's life helps us understand and use the Psalms. Because we realize, oh, wait a minute. When you read some of his Psalms, and you go back and see what he was going through, you go, wow, that makes all the difference in the world. That gives you a context. That gives you perspective. And for your fun reading this week, hopefully I've already given you one thing, but... Uh, look at Psalm 37, David's view of life. It's 40 verses, but you really need to read that. That is, I love that. That is a great psalm. If you're going to memorize psalm, that would be great. And I, I won't say any more than that. And then Psalm 51, I didn't have time to get into that. That's, I think in my Bible it says, David the sinner's prayer. And that's basically a psalm he wrote after Nathan confronted him. And that's really good, too. It gives you a perspective. It really gives you the heart of David. And that's what I want you to see. Um, and then we already talked about 2 Samuel 22. Uh, let me go on a few other things. David was a sinner, but he kept his nation from going into idolatry. Because remember, later on, they do go into idolatry, unfortunately. Remember all when, when Saul was there and king and... They had to constantly get rid of these idols and stuff. It was just ridiculous. He sinned, but he repented and gave God a chance to forgive him and cleanse him. Wow. How many times we mess up and we think, oh, God can't forgive me of that. Well, yes, he can. Uh, he took a chaotic nation, to say the least, 
and establish a dynasty that lasted in the time of the captivity more than 450 years. He was a warrior and a statesman. Wow, that's an unusual combination, isn't it? He made Israel the dominant power of Western Asia. David was patient and was willing to wait for God to lead. That really impresses me as a leader and as a king. And we see, saw that over and over again. He constantly went to the, the Lord, he inquired of the Lord. And David, um, he was the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 guy. You can look up that on your own. Or you probably already know it. And then what David did for Israel, there were five things he did for Israel. You don't have to write these down, but just for your information. He captured Jerusalem and built it bigger and stronger. And that was key, because that's where God has a special thing for Jerusalem. If you've ever been there, it feels different. I, I don't know how to describe it. When you're there in, in Jerusalem, it's just, even in Israel, period, it's, it's, it's a blessed land. God, for whatever reason, God chose that. He conquered the Philistines. Look how many times they were been messing with them. He united the people, that was huge, and while putting God at the center, he was willing to split, submit to God's plan for the temple. Now he had it in his heart, and then we're getting into next week, uh, a little, or, or down the road, but he wanted to build that temple, but God says no because he was a bloody man, because he was a man of war. You think all the people he killed and stuff like that, but that's what God, his purpose was for him that time. And he took that fine. He said, okay. So he got all the parts ready, and Solomon came along, and he had this beautiful Lego set, and it was ready to go. <laughs> I mean, Solomon had it done. I mean, what, he had the plans, he had the thing, the materials. He just had to get the workers to do it. That's pretty amazing. And then again, the last thing, uh, is he wrote so many psalms. And they, they like I said, when you're, when you're in trouble, you go to the psalms, and you go, wow. And David didn't write them all. But I'm sure that because of the ones he did write, the other guys that wrote Psalms looked at those and it affected them. So, any, any other questions? No questions. There's a verse in Acts, I'm trying to look it up, but it's one of my favorite verses, that if I were going to have a tombstone, I'd like to be able to have that put on there, live that kind of life, and that is that David served God's purpose in his time. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's a, just a really touching verse. Mm -hmm. He was a very special person. There, yeah, he was a very and just think where the God took him from and took him to, and all the ups and downs he went through. Oh, it's kind of like our life, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's in um, it's Acts thirteen thirty six. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. Hmm. Yeah, that would be a good, well, it's kind of like, well done, good and faithful servant, you know. I mean, that's what, it, it, one of the verses I quoted uh, said to the end, and God, it, that David would do what God wanted him to do. He served his purpose, yeah. It wasn't easy. I mean, he had tests constantly. I mean, he had, he had, he had family problems, he had people, enemies around him. Uh, it, there's just unbelievable stuff. So, but be, if you don't do anything else, read Psalm 37, because it isn't that long. And it, it really, after knowing David now, it'll give you a whole different perspective. And it'll just, it just amaze me when I read it. So, okay, let's, let's close in prayer. We're just making it. Thank you. Dear Lord, we just thank you again for 
David's example, he had to actually live through all this stuff, Lord. And he puts it in our, your word just so we can read it and understand and apply it to our lives. Help us to come away changed, not forget. Help us to realize that what David went through was for a purpose, as Chuck pointed out, and that we should learn and we should be a people that think more like David and less like Mike. So help us to be the, that people, Lord. Just be with us this week and help us in our next week's reading. In Jesus' name, amen.